like a cowboy place. Ain't no time like a cowboy time. Ain't no way like the cowboy way. Have a cowboy kind of day. Yeah. Try the new Big Sky Burger at Roy Rogers. It's Smithfield pulled pork, beer battered onion rings, American cheese, and spicy barbecue sauce on a Kaiser bun. Have a cowboy kind of day at Roy's in a way you're going wrong. Hey, yeah. DoorDash and Uber Eats available at participating restaurants. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. You're listening to the Huddle Up Podcast with Chad Jensen and Zach Kelberman. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com and sound off. And now it's time to drop some knowledge. Welcome in, everybody, to another episode of the Huddle Up Podcast presented, as always, by Mile High Huddle and 24-7 Sports. I'm your host, Chad Jensen. With me, as always, is your Denver Broncos reporter for 24-7 Sports. He is Zach Kelberman. Zach, we sit here on Sunday evening getting ready for another great week of covering the Denver Broncos, and we have to feast our eyes on this crap show that they're calling the NFL All-Star Game, you know, the Pro Bowl, (laughs) which I remember as a kid. Now, maybe this is viewed through kind of the scope, you know, the limited worldview of of a child and slash teenager, but I can remember in the 90s, man, like watching Anthony Miller when he was a Bronco at the Pro Bowl and late 90s, mid 90s, whatever that was. And just like the overall effort, like it still felt like an NFL game. Not anymore, man. It's a joke nowadays. It, it really, I didn't even watch one second of it. I remember as a kid years ago, I used to live for the Pro Bowl. It used to be, you know, the, the NFL's all-star game. You know, it's the, the biggest collection of talent in the world. And now it's a glorified two-hand touch. So I'm not about it anymore. Uh, it definitely is a joke. Yeah, I mean, whatever it was, two or three Pro Bowls ago, I can remember Aaron Rodgers, like, literally getting pissed during the game, throwing his hands up because guys weren't were showing zero effort. And uh, at a certain point... The NFL either needs to really incentivize the players in order to make it a viable product on the field. Like, for example, instead of each, I think it's like 75 grand they get or something for the winner. Yeah, they get paid either way. I mean, they're still getting paid. And for a guy like Philip Lindsay, who's fresh off of making nothing to, you know, he made half a million uh, dollars, excuse me, yeah, half a million dollars as a rookie. And he scrounged some pennies to get to Orlando finally. Right. Well, and so that if he were on the winning squad to make, I mean, that's a for a guy like him, that's a significant paycheck, right? But for the majority of these stars in the NFL, it's nothing. So you got to incentivize the, the these players, like come up with a better system, even if it's just straight paying them more money. Like, look, the winners get quarter of a million dollars. I guarantee you'd get a bit a bigger and better effort from the players overall, and it might cost the NFL a little bit more, and they'd have to figure out a way to fund that. But the owners got the coin, dude. I mean, it's a twelve billion dollar nut. Also, do it after the Super Bowl, so the players, can, more players, can attend. The rosters don't have to change, and you don't right. have to have five alternates play. It's just, it's just a joke. It really is. It's, it, yeah. it's a disgrace. And the NFL has trended downward in a lot of different directions for a lot of different reasons, and the Pro Bowls is uh, one of them. Mm-hmm. I agree, and we're not going to be able to solve all the NFL world's problems, though we are the football priests. We can't save the entire world. That's that's a a conversation and a topic and an issue for another time that uh, the mighty ginger himself, Roger Goodell, is going to have to figure out someday, somehow. But in the meantime, we got a lot to get to today. But first, a couple matters of business. You guys, make sure you're following the show on Twitter, at HuddleUpPod. If you want to get in on the mailbag questions, you're going to want to make sure you're following the show also. 
wherever you're subscribing, whatever podcast platform you consume this show on, make sure you rate, leave a creative review, five-star review, hook us up, do your boys a solid, especially crucial on iTunes, especially crucial on iTunes. Shout out to the YouTube listeners. You guys make up, I don't know what it might be, 20% of our, our listening base, so shout out to you guys, and that's growing each and every week basically i mean i looked at it last time I, we just started that account that our youtube channel so that we could put the podcast on youtube about a year ago and it grows a little bit slower than some of the other social channels we we have uh with the net our, our website but it's over 2000 and the vast majority of those subscribers on youtube are there to listen to the the podcast each and every day so shout out to you guys appreciate you guys and uh also we got to give a shout out to our podcast network that we joined earlier this month the overtime podcast network things are going great i'm sure the listeners are stoked on it zach because it went from a bi-weekly well it went from a weekly podcast to a bi-weekly podcast to now we're going daily they got to be stoked I, I don't think anyone can complain about more broncos content in the off season you know a lot of stuff going on always news always something going on with the broncos and uh from what i've heard on twitter and facebook a lot of broncos fans are really loving the extra content so we appreciate it and uh we'll continue churning it out there for you guys what zach and i wanted to jump on for today's show uh, we were kind of chomping at the bit even though there weren't a whole lot of uh, nuggets that came out of the coordinator introductory press conferences on thursday we've been chomping at the bit to kind of discuss and dissect some of the more salient things that did uh emerge from those press conferences so we'll touch on those today and really you had uh, you had our boy Vic Fangio introduce everybody and first up to the plate was Rich Scangarello and Scangarello talked about how you know he came to uh, know Vic Fangio and how that whole connection worked out uh, he genuflected to Kyle Shanahan for all of his opportunities and paving the way for him to work his way up the ranks but where he really started getting into something that was new information for all of us was I shouldn't say it's it's necessarily new information, but he's diving in and and making a little bit more clear his his philosophy and his approach to the offense. Here's what he said, real quick. Um, philosophically, uh, my roots have always been in the zone run system that uh, Kyle Shanahan has run. Um, I started with that with my first mentor, my first head coach. I worked with Tom Cable, and he evolved over years. Uh, I, I see an offense that's uh, willing to take shots, that's aggressive, but is detailed in every way, um, that takes care of the football, um, that uh, empowers its players to, to be the best they can be by putting them in a position to be successful. Uh, I think our offense empowers the quarterback um, to have success and it can adapt to his skill set. And so uh, as we build this as a group, as a staff, um, looking forward to doing that. And um, I think. Uh, we can make that happen. So some interesting takes there. Gives you a little bit more of a perspective on what his overarching philosophies are. And we're going to dive a little bit more, uh, a little bit deeper into some things Scangarello said in a separate conversation with Broncos TV on tomorrow's episode. So stay tuned for that. But Zach, off the cuff, we knew coming in he was a Shanahan acolyte. Zone, uh, West Coast base. You know, we saw this type of scheme that the Niners ran against the Broncos in Week 14. But what did you take away from his, him talking about, in just a little sound clip like that, his overall philosophical approach? 
Well, I mean, I I appreciate it from a, a first-time offensive coordinator, a guy who's still cutting his teeth in the NFL and getting a huge opportunity, uh, a guy who hasn't had much chance to look over the game tape from last season, study Case Keenum, study the Broncos' offense in detail. One thing that jumped out to me, though, with most of his quotes, he mentioned Kyle Shanahan a lot, almost you know ad nauseum. And it's like, we want Rich Scangarella. We don't want Kyle Shanahan. I mean, some of us did, but we're not getting him. you know. So he needs to be his own coordinator, and I hope – that that tendency in his first press conference does not carry over, and he tries to be Shanahan. I want him to be Scangarello. So right. based on his philosophy, I like what he's bringing to the table, but in his first introductory presser, I can't, you know, we can't glean too much. We can just see that he has some big influences, but um, I think he's going to lean a lot on Fangio, a lot on Munchak, and whoever he brings in as QB coach. I think one of the reasons for that, as far as him, you know, really bowing down to Shanahan with all of his public remarks is the fact that you know he's really worked his way up quickly in the NFL ranks from being a quality control guy to a position coach to an actual offensive coordinator gig within four years in the NFL which is not I wouldn't quite say unprecedented but it's he's he's up there it doesn't happen all that often in that short period of time and so what that means is it's a complete lifestyle change and I'm not just talking about the, the responsibility of it and how that changes your daily grind and your the overall scope of your responsibility. I'm talking about money. I'm talking about what that means financially to him, to his wife, to his kids, to his family. You know, it's it's a complete makeover financially in a, in a you know, you're skyrocketing up the chain, so to speak. And so if it were you, if it were I, I think we would be extremely grateful for Shannon, for whoever that might have been, paving the way for us. And I think that's probably why you hear it come out as much as it has thus far, is because, you know, he jumps from making whatever it might have been, probably a little less than a hundred grand a year as a position coach, maybe somewhere right around uh, six figures, to probably pushing a million dollars a year. I mean, it's yeah. a it's a significant uptick. So hats off to him. It's a great opportunity. And obviously, you know, the guy I'd probably be thanking a little bit more in my verbiage publicly is Vic Fangio, the guy who actually offered me the job for what it's worth. But yeah, mm-hmm. it comes back to, you know, John Elway, The all signs initially point to Gary Kubiak. And both Zach and I here on the podcast and most of us on our website, our analysts and writers, you know, we were like, we understand, get the band back together, it's what you know, the West Coast, the zone, the system, you know, brought three world championships to the Broncos, we get that, but things are changing, the last three years of, well really, the last four years of Broncos offense has been excruciating, come on, you gotta move forward, you gotta evolve, and so it's good in, on one hand that is bringing in a philosophy that is familiar to Elway, that is familiar to the organization, it's familiar to the personnel, but at the same time, he's a guy who also has talked a lot and talked a lot on Thursday. We'll get into maybe some more of his quotes on, in this regard a little bit later about evolving and utilizing some of these college schemes that are allowing offenses to dictate to defenses in the NFL. Yeah, and it's you made a good point because he, he's familiar with that Shanahan zone blocking scheme, but he's also new and up and coming in the NFL. And to your point about owing to Kyle Shanahan, yeah, you know, personally, uh, you know, I, I would also be very appreciative. He he pretty much got him this job because he took him from every stop he was in Atlanta uh, and then now with the, uh, the Niners, now with the Broncos. So I would owe a lot to him also. I'm just saying I want to see what Scangarella can do as a coach. I don't want to see just uh, repeat ideas from Kyle Shanahan. That's all I'm saying with that. But yeah, yeah I mean, on paper, 
Kuiper, he's a, a huge upgrade. He's exactly what you and I both wanted. You and I both badly wanted Zach Taylor as the Broncos OC. We wanted a younger guy at the position. We weren't considering Scangarello, but it it's obviously fits that mold of what Elway wants to do, and rightfully so. He wants to look you know, f with foresight and the long term and not in the short term. Gary Kubiak predated old sense. You know, it's, it's a new school approach, and I'm absolutely on board with that. Yeah. He also uh, talked about Case Keenum, which was interesting because a month ago even, it seemed pretty much a guarantee because of his contract that Case Keenum was going to be a Bronco in 2019. But as we've gotten farther into the offseason, more and more has, has begun to come to light that really kind of puts into question his standing on the team. Will the Broncos try and trade him? Are there any teams out there that would be willing to absorb or take on a contract like that? Would a team like the Giants, if Eli Manning... Uh, ends up leaving or if they, they part ways with Eli Manning, could that Pat Shermer connection be rekindled? And, you know, would the Broncos just outright cut him or would he they want to keep him and ta tag him up with a, a young drafted quarterback that he could mentor? You know, but all of a sudden it's in question. And yet Scangarello, that was, I think, the third question he was asked on what he's seen in Case Keenum. And then his, his answer, I thought, was kind of interesting because we learned from Chris Biederman last week that he, Scangarello, is an extremely meticulous scouter of quarterbacks. And even in 2017, I mean, the Niners had just orchestrated that blockbuster trade to acquire Jimmy Garoppolo less than three or four months previous, and he's putting together a meticulous report for the Niners on the soon-to-be free agent quarterback Case Keenum coming off that monster year in Minnesota, gets to the NFC Championship game and whatnot. So we learn that he's doing those things. Here's what he said real quick about Case Keenum, where he fits in, how he views Case Keenum going forward. Well, the first part as far as Case goes, um, yeah, I'm excited to work with Case. Uh, we were not in the market for a quarterback in San Francisco last year, but he was a free agent, and I did my due diligence on him. And he really played outstanding in Minnesota, and he had a, he was a big part of helping them get to where they got to that NFC Championship game. And he's gritty, he's a winner, he's competitive, and you can see that on the film. I think in our system, um, and I think you could see that based with Kyle's history, and that's what I believe as well, um, and in San Francisco where I was directly coaching those guys, um, each guy's a little unique, and you have to adapt to them. And I see traits that um, we can help Case be the best he can be, and um, that's that's our job as an offense, the players around him, and really to let, let, empower him to to really be play confident like he was in Minnesota and continue to keep that going and no doubt um, help him be the best he can be. So one thing that's interesting there is he really emphasized, obviously, that he did his due diligence on him. He really respected what he saw from Keenum in Minnesota in 2017. Called him a winner. Everyone calls Case Keenum a winner, which I don't really get because – Aside from his 2017 season, his one-year wonder season, he's not really ever been a winner. He's got a losing record as a starter in the NFL. But I digress. He talks about – it sounds like it's kind of one of those things, Zach, where if Scangarello, if push comes to shove and he's got to make some hay with Case Keenum, he's got to make some, some lemonade out of lemons, that he's confident he can, he can make it work. But maybe that's not necessarily his ideal path forward as O.C., 
Well, what he said kind of played on my last point is that he mentioned Keenum in Minnesota and not Keenum in Denver. He hasn't had that time yet to sit down and watch that film. So he was going to give any groundbreaking analysis. He, he's not in that position yet to make a decision. And the Broncos don't even know. Fangio said Keenum's the quarterback right now. Elway said you know, he's sticking with him, but he's a short-term fix. Those plans haven't been made yet. But for now, they brought a guy in. And even Scangarello knows they brought him in to develop a young quarterback. Case Keenum is not the future of this franchise. The future of the franchise is not yet on the roster, whoever it may be. So um, can he work with Keenum? Can he get more out of Keenum than Bill Musgrave did? Sure. It's not really saying much. But is the sole reason they brought Scangarello in to develop Case Keenum? I don't think so. I think that's for the next quarterback on the roster. So um, what he knows right now is what he saw in Minnesota. But as we saw last year, Keenum in Minnesota and Keenum in Denver are two different quarterbacks. So I think he's going to have um, a big, big uh, uh, project ahead of him with Keenum. And I do understand it because, you know, the, the, the quarterback and the situation that I was comparing Keenum to this time last year when the Broncos signed him, was Jake Plummer. And if everyone can think back to Jake Plummer being, I think it was a, a second-round pick of the Cardinals in 97 and basically did a lot of lose. And I think he had one winning season for the Cardinals where they got to the playoffs, and it was like the first time in 20-some-odd years that the Cardinals had been to the playoffs. It was a huge deal. And not long after, he's gone and he's in Denver. Well, when he came to, and arrived in Denver, Plummer was not technically – a winner. I mean, he had a losing record as a starting quarterback coming from just a garbage organization. But in Denver, because he had the spirit of a winning quarterback, he had that that competitive edge, that winner mindset, and then he stepped onto a team that was led by Mike Shanahan, still had a lot of great pieces. You know, the, the Broncos went on three consecutive years of making the playoffs, got to the AFC Championship game in 05, and lost to, to the upstart Steelers under Ben Roethlisberger. But that's the that's what I think people mean, Zach, when they talk about Keenum being a winner. I mean, technically he's not. He had he's got one winning season as a starting quarterback, which has really fudged his numbers. Otherwise, if you look at it from a winning percentage perspective, you take twenty seventeen out of the equation, his winning percentage is about what it was as a starter in Denver this this past season. He's about a six and ten quarterback as a starter. Right. It's a, it's a what have you done for me lately league. And people, you know, know that it's 2017. He brought him to that game of uh, the NFC title game. But now they know that he was in Denver last year and he was not the same quarterback. So his reputation, I feel like around the NFL is now more geared toward what he did with the Broncos than what he did with the Vikings. And he is what he is. And he is not a, a starting quarterback in the NFL. It's just he reminds me like a Chad Pennington type of this generation, even though Pennington was more successful. Just a great guy, a good leader, that fiery type. He never gives up, very gritty. Every cliche in the book, he just does not have it physically. That's what Mm -hmm. separates him from being a long-term franchise-caliber quarterback, and that's that's the reason why he's not going to be on the roster uh, this time next offseason, if not sooner. Right. But you're right. I mean, he, Scangarello, he hasn't had time to evaluate the roster, go through the film yet. And I think when, you know, I kind of, I made a little bit of a stink about this in a written piece on the website. I think it was Thursday evening after the, the press conference when Fangio said, look, we have better things to be doing with our time as the coaches. That's why we're not in Mobile at the Senior Bowl. John's there. Matt Russell's there. Uh, you know, it's not like the Broncos are not doing their work at the Senior Bowl, but we as coaches... We basically, to paraphrase, and we have bigger fish to fry. And I think that's really getting to the crux of it is that, look, you got two new coordinators coming in to say nothing of Fangio's the head coach. 
they have a lot of work to do in terms of, you know, finishing their coaching hires up. I mean, we still have a quarterback's coach left to hire under Scangarello. They got to go through the personnel, watch film on last season. They have to evaluate the pending free agents, which the Broncos have a ton this year. Mm -hmm. Uh, They have to evaluate some of the cap casualty guys that are on the bubble and decide as a coaching staff, what their recommendation is going to be to John Elway in terms of, you know, like Ronald Leary, for example. Is this a guy we want to try and keep? Do we feel like we can get more out of this uh, than, than what the team's been able to get his first two seasons, both of which he spent more time on injured reserve than he did on the field? Or, you know, do we, is it time to cut, cut bait type thing? And so the time's going to come for Fangio, for Scangarello, for Donatel, for all of them to – contribute to the scouting process that Elway and Russell are undertaking right now. But first things first, they have to get their ducks in a row as a very newly hired coaching staff. Yeah, I have no problem with them being back in Denver while Elway, Russell, and some scouts are in Mobile. Absolutely no problem with that. Uh, it's a new coaching staff. And every Pretty much every point that you just mentioned is what I was going to say. Um, they really had to prioritize. And you have Elway, who's a trusted scout, uh, who he he believes. And you have Russell, who's his right-hand man. You have the people who should be there for that reason. They're going to be in at the combine. They're going to be as pro days doing interviews. That time will come. But for right now, with So many new moving parts. Uh, They should have been in Denver, and they made the right choice being in Denver. Well, and this is this was my one gripe with their decision is, you know, the the timing of when they chose to introduce the the coordinators. I questioned because it was was interesting. Yeah, I mean, half the media wasn't there. Right, LA wasn't there. They're they're all down. Well, half of them, as you said, they're they're in Mobile, and it's like you could have done that next week, right? You could have introduced everyone next week, and maybe. Okay, Fangio's got a lot to do. You know, he's going to get his time with Elway scouting and going through film on prospects. I get that. Donatel, he's probably just going to do whatever Fangio tells him to do. But I would have <laughs> really liked Scangarello to have been in Mobile for the purpose of checking out the quarterbacks that were there, specifically mm-hmm. Drew Locke, Daniel Jones, uh, even Will Greer, who completely bombed. We'll talk more about right. that either later in this show or on tomorrow's episode. But So I wonder what opportunities may have been missed in not having Scangarello there for that purpose. Because one of the things, as someone who's covered the Senior Bowl in, per, in person, one of the cool things if you're a scout or a coach or a GM there to evaluate talent is, because when I first went there, I was shocked, Zach. Everyone flies in on a Monday night. They are there for Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday practices, and there's a few media events in the evenings of all three of those days. And then everyone flies out, including the scouts and GMs. I mean, when I flew out on a Friday – Okay, the game's the next day on Saturday. I flew out on a Friday. I'm sitting in a plane that's flying from Mobile to Houston. The entire plane is full of Kansas City Chiefs scouting department. I'm literally sitting <laughs> right next to the general manager of the Kansas City Chiefs, who at the time was John Dorsey. Meanwhile, you got Elway Jet setting in on his own plane. Boom, boom, in and out. You got John Dorsey and the Chiefs flying coach for whatever reason. But anyway, everyone bails on Friday. And so the game is played Saturday. It's televised. And basically the way it's viewed is the game can be viewed and broken down by coaches and scouts on film. But what, the reason they all you know, fly into Mobile and descend on that town is because those three games or those three days of practice, they get to see how these, these players respond to coaching, mm-hmm. to, to instruction, to technique, to actual one-on-one competition. And, you know, because a lot comes out in the wash when you see how a player measures up in a one-on-one drill type of scenario. So it's those type of things, Zach, that make me wonder if maybe an opportunity was missed. It's not by any stretch. 
end-all, be-all for Scangarello. Oh, my gosh, he missed out on the Senior Bowl. Therefore, there's no way he can have an educated you know, influence on what the Broncos do in the draft. I'm just saying you don't know what, what opportunity he might have missed. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was interesting also and kind of odd that they waited a little while and they did it on the end of the week on a Thursday when if they waited till Monday, the Senior Bowl would have been over, the Pro Bowl's over, more people back in Denver would have made more sense. And you bring up a really good point that I hadn't considered. I tend to agree with that, that maybe Scangarello, considering his work with young quarterbacks, should have been at the Senior Bowl with a lot of young quarterbacks right now. I do agree with that. But the only thing I can think of is that they trust Elway's opinion above his right now, and they trust right. Russell's opinion, and uh, they supposedly like Drew Locke, and they'll go with that. Yeah. Well, we'll talk more about uh, Scangarello and quarterbacks and Drew Locke and what took place with the quarterbacks at the Senior Bowl on tomorrow's episode. But meanwhile, let's uh, move on. I think that pretty much covers really the the, the biggest takeaways from yep. what Scangarello had to say. I mean – as, as Zach and I have talked about privately, it wasn't exactly a, you know, as far as introductory press conferences, there weren't a lot of pearls being thrown as opposed to like even when Vic Fangio was introduced, there was a lot to dissect and go through his remarks. This was pretty timid, tepid type of stuff from these coordinators. It was all very, you know, thanking Vic Fangio, thanking their previous coaching stops and some very generic answers. But there were a couple interesting things that came out from Ed Donatel's remarks and, you know, I don't even think we really need to play any of the, the actual quotes uh, of, of Donatel speaking. But one thing he did do is he kind of backed up what Fangio said that made some waves, made some headlines, including at our website, that, yes, Von Miller, Bradley Chubb, you know, they had great seasons last year. But they can, just like Fangio said at the podium when he was introduced, there's room for improvement for everybody. And it mm-hmm. really comes down to a philosophical thing that, yes, Everyone should know, no matter what level of, you know, on the professional ladder they're at, there's always room for improvement. It's, it's true. And even Vaughn would tell you the same thing. And he did at the Pro Bowl. He said, you, you want a coach that would look to get you to improve. And that's what he's looking for. And he's looking at it as motivation. And some people thought that Fangio remark was a slight at Vaughn Miller. I looked at it like a slight at Vance Joseph and the previous Broncos coaching staff who did not maximize Hall of Fame talent in Vaughn Miller and even Bradley Chubb having him drop back in coverage last year as opposed to pass rushing. Uh, so, yes, I, I don't. I look at it as motivation. I, I look at it as constructive criticism. Any player, regardless of position in the NFL, even Tom Brady, can get better. No one is 100% perfect, and I have no problem with Donatel or Fangio pushing Von Miller. As good as he is, he can even be better. He's shown it in the past. Um, you know, in 20... Earlier in the in the, the decade, he had 18 and a half sacks. He can be better. He only had 14 and a half this year. So there's obviously room for improvement. And with this coaching staff, with Vic Fangio, Ed Donatel, I think he will get better and he will be more improved. And that's a scary, scary proposition. Yep. And one thing too, like it makes me think back to last year when Zach Azani uh, arrived in Denver and kind of butted heads a little bit with Emmanuel Sanders, and. One of the quotes I think back to during that time, it was during OTAs that this came out, Sanders said, I'll actually read the quote I have in front of me, he said, oh yeah, we butted heads at the beginning. Obviously the new coach coming in, he has his ways, I have my ways of doing it. It took me to the two Super Bowls and to two Pro Bowls. We butt heads, but at the end of the day, we have a common goal and we want to win. We've been working it out, and I've been listening to him, he's been listening to me. It's starting to pay off because he always tells me, and here's the reason I'm reading this quote, you can get better. You know that, right? And I'm like, okay, okay. And I'm listening and it's starting to work, close quote. And that's really, I mean, you're talking obviously on 
in terms of caliber, Emmanuel Sanders is, might not be on the same scale as, as Vaughn Miller in terms of the best player at his position in the league or one of. You could say Sanders may be top 20 player at his position, even though he's getting long in the tooth. But having his position coach remind him, you can get better. You know that, right? I mean, that's something that I think can inform the, the performance and the overall mindset of every Bronco in that locker room. And it actually is something I think fans should get excited about, and especially hearing, as you said, Zach, that Von Miller is buying into that already. It's a culture change. After the last two years of Vance Joseph, it was club med at Dove Valley. It, it needed to be a culture change. And Vic Fangio and this coaching staff, they're not. there's no more death by inches, like they said. There's no more easy way out. There's no more rounded corners. There's no more easy way of doing things. They want production. They want to maximize talent. And they don't want excuses. And that's exactly what Von Miller, even him, and all these Broncos teammates need after the last couple seasons. We also learned from Ed Donatel that at this point – it is yet to be determined exactly where he's going to be on game day because, as we know and we've talked about on the show, Vic Fangio, who in only one year of his 19 years as an NFL defensive coordinator, only one of those seasons did he spend on the sideline calling plays. He likes to be up in the box where he can get a full picture of of how teams are playing and get a full scope of seeing what's going Every You know, your view, and he's even said it, I think, on Thursday, Fangio said, that it's the worst place to watch a football game is on the sideline. And I get that. Like it's you from a scope perspective, a perspective perspective, you just you're not seeing the the all the pieces moving. And so to me, even though they're not admitting it yet, and we know they're gonna work out a lot of kinks in the and they're gonna use the exhibition preseason games to work these kinks out and figure out what their dynamic is gonna be. But to me, Zach, I see this working out to where Donatel is probably gonna be upstairs. And mm-hmm. be Fangio's eye in the sky, so to speak. That's right. And they, whatever you know, they might sacrifice a little bit of Donatel's interpersonal stuff with the players on the sideline in terms of going through cutups. You know, telling the players while he's on the sideline what he's seeing. Why didn't you do this there? You need to do this, that, the other, whatever. They'll whatever they sacrifice there, they hope to make up for in having his expertise and the way that both he and Fangio view the game from you know being on the same level one guy eye in the sky though this time one guy's on the sideline i'd be stunned if both fangio and donatello were on the sideline one has to be up in the box and don't forget the broncos also hired brandon staley and he'll be on the sideline so he can relay some calls and there'll be some transition there and donatello being in the box being a former secondary coach it gives him an all 22 look at the field so that could help out the broncos secondary the broncos defense so yeah I'm, i'm with you i think he'll be up in the upstairs this season for the broncos well, that pretty much covers, you know, really the, the bottom line takeaways from the remarks of the coordinators. Tom McMahon spoke, and basically the only interesting thing that came out of his remarks was him talking about, you know, the the nature of the NFL coaching world where you don't know each and every year whether where your job is going to be in terms of how surprised was he that he got to stay type thing. And so it was all pretty uh, run-of-the-mill from, from Mr. Tom McMahon, though we're both excited that – he was retained, and even Fangio said, Zach, that he made some calls around the league. Everyone he talked to had nothing but good to say about Tom McMahon. I mean, the one thing that they struggled with last year and the one thing that McMahon actually harped on in his press conference is the Broncos' return teams. They have to be better, he said. But it was night and day from Brock Olivo. I mean, you're talking about a first-time coordinator versus a well-respected, renowned special teams guy who's been around the NFL block a few times. So, um, yeah, it was a no-brainer to bring him back. He's one of the better uh, coordinators in the league. 
Here in a second, we are going to take a peek inside the Mile High Mailbag VIP edition. We'll do that right when we come back. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Ain't no place like a cowboy place. Ain't no time like a cowboy time. Ain't no way like the cowboy way. Have a cowboy kind of day. Try the new Big Sky Burger at Roy Rogers. It's Smithfield pulled pork, beer battered onion rings, American cheese, and spicy barbecue sauce on a Kaiser bun. Have a cowboy kind of day at Roy's in a way you're going wrong. DoorDash and Uber Eats available at participating restaurants. Okay, so it's that time of the week where we take a peek inside the Mile High Mailbag because Zach and I are your football priests and we pride ourselves on being able to offer you the absolution and the answers to your burning Broncos questions. And we really like to feature the VIPs and give them an opportunity, first come, first serve basis, to take a swing at the plate, so to speak. And this one came from Studley. Now, these questions are coming from the MHH Insiders VIP forum on the website over at milehighhuddle.com. If you are not a VIP subscriber, do us a solid subscribe, rectify that. Not only can you get in on these VIP mailbags, but you get access to the MHH Insiders Forum, which is where we're sharing all of the insider stuff we pick up, which especially during this time of year is quite a bit on what the Broncos are looking at in the draft, who they're liking, are they making calls around the league, are they looking at trades, This is the time of year we pick up the most information, and we share it only on that MHH Insiders Forum. So as a VIP, you get access to that, as well as any of the VIP content we produce on the front page from film room breakdowns on your Denver Broncos. We'll be doing some film breakdowns on the the draft class coming up, and then once the Broncos make their picks, the guys will be doing um, draft-oriented film breakdowns on each pick the Broncos make. So... Go to the website. There's a green banner. Click it. Subscribe. You can go annual. You can go monthly. Whatever you choose to do. And then you're locked in. And it's a great way to support what we're doing here. The time we put into bringing you this content, that's a good way to support what we're doing. Keep the ball rolling. But this question comes from Stud Lee, who's got about a month under his belt, it shows here, as a VIP subscriber. His question, Zach, is... What would be considered a successful season for this new coaching staff? Do they need to make the playoffs in year one or two? Even though Elway is allergic to the R word, rebuild, will this coaching staff be given more time to turn it around than the last one, which we we, we know they only got two years? He'll get at least two years, and the first season is always a honeymoon season regardless. So uh, there's no danger for Vic Fangio in the first season. And in terms of a successful year, that's kind of subjective based on a person's viewpoint. But I feel like if they're trending in the right direction, not necessarily playoffs, but maybe a winning record, but they have a franchise quarterback on the roster developing or starting already. If they can nail that down and they can be trending in the right direction, to me, that's just as good as making the playoffs and being, you know, bounced out the first round. They have to have that next franchise QB on the roster, no matter who it is. If they can have that, and I believe they have the proper coaching staff in place, uh, that to me is a very successful season. That's a good point. I mean, how do you categorize successful? I mean, obviously, it's got to be a winning record, and it's got to be playoffs. That's what I would consider to be successful. But even if the Broncos aren't able to quite get there in a single-year turnaround, if they have more of the pieces they need for the championship puzzle in place, such as the number one thing they're missing now that Zach alluded to, the franchise quarterback, and if they, have, if they can get that guy in the draft this year, and even if they only go 8-8 eight and eight next year and the, the young guy started half the games – 
to me, I would view that as a successful season. And the only sure. other thing I would say, too, on top of to piggyback on top of what you said, is that this is the last head coach John Elway's going to hire. So mm. he's got a three-year window. Elway's contract runs through 2021. That's how long Vic Fangio has to make an impression and turn the ship around. If you really want to get down to brass tacks, that's the truth. Um, one more here from Anusum. 37, 15 months. He's been a VIP subscriber. Appreciate you. At this point, would it be considered an upset, Zach, if Denver doesn't land Drew Locke in the draft? I'm on the fence about him. As long as he doesn't have to start right away, he could be all right. Would it be an upset if the Broncos don't land Drew Locke in the draft at this point? An upset? No, because there's quarterback needy teams that are ahead of the Broncos who like Drew Locke also and like Dwayne Haskins. Uh, an upset? No, but that's all the tea leaves are suggesting the Broncos are going to be in on Locke, and he'll probably be a top ten pick. That's probably his his you know his uh, floor for the draft, the number ten overall pick. So an upset? No, the Broncos are one of the favorites right now, but there's a lot of teams hot on this trail after a pretty good Senior Bowl. The Broncos included, they're going to have competition. It would not surprise me. I'm not. Uh... The VIPs know what I'm talking about here from some of the information that's been shared on the forum. But it wouldn't surprise me if Elway's been working the phones already a little bit to touch base with some of the teams ahead of him from a strategic perspective in the draft. Hello, John Lynch. And say, hey, yo, what do you think uh, about maybe swapping me? What would it take? Start feeling out what the cost might be. Because there's the value chart, which you had a series of tweets, I believe, Zach, mm-hmm. on this subject earlier this week. There's the value chart that teams go off of, but it's not always, it's not gospel, it's not Bible. Sometimes teams deviate from that, and so at this point, Elway's got to at least test the waters and see what some of these teams might be wanting in an exchange to move up, because I agree with you. I think 10 is the floor for Drew Locke, and that's where the Broncos sit. I think if you really want to get him, you're going to have to move up and get closer, which would mean for the Broncos, you'd have to be so sold on Drew Locke that you're willing to give up a little extra capital, maybe even a first-round pick next year, but certainly a second and a third round pick this year or next year to get him. So we'll uh, we'll see how that shakes out. But there's a lot more info on this for those of you who are not VIP subscribers on the MHH Insiders Forum. I encourage you to check that out. Next one here comes from No Fly Zone 2125. 13 months he's been a VIP subscriber. What a stud. He says, with the coaching introductions out of the way, it seems like we have some coaches that seem like they know what they want and are doing and what they're doing this time. How do you guys feel about the coaches? How do you guys feel about how the coaches are going to lead this team? There we go. And the second part is, after the Senior Bowl, how do the Broncos think of Drew Locke? It seems like he had a good week, and how do you see the draft shaping up? So uh, just to uh, boil that down, how do you feel, Zach, about how the coaches are going to lead this team, and what do you think about Locke coming out of the Senior Bowl? I mean, right now on paper, it's so early. It's, you know, January 27th. But on paper, it's one of the better coaching staffs, I feel like, in Broncos history. It's just, to me, the, the right head coaching hire. You landed Mike Munchak, which was a, a coup and a half. Yep. Uh, you got a young up-and-coming coordinator in Scangarello. You got a trusted voice in Donatel. You Ken McMahon. You have the best uh, defensive line coach in the business in Kolar. I mean, you have some really good coaches on this staff. And on paper, if the talent meshes with that, you're going to see a lot better results than the Vance Joseph, like, coaching staff so uh, based on that it's one of the stronger Broncos staffs I can remember and it should translate to more victories because as most of my followers can attest it's all about coaching so in in Drew Locke though the Broncos do like him they haven't really made that a secret at all and the NFL world knows they like Drew Locke and they've talked to him and they were there scouting him this week and they will talk to him at the combine and pro days 
it aligns. It's a need. He's the probably, arguably, the best quarterback in the draft with respect to Dwayne Haskins. If he's there on the board, if right now we know the Broncos will take a hard, hard look at pulling the trigger. Yeah. I mean, if it were Drew Locke sitting there at pick 10, I, I would almost guarantee that he would end up being the pick. But, again, you got a question now at this point in a quarterback desperate league. Some of these teams are also connecting the dots and seeing – what caliber of player he is. He did have a really good senior bowl week, played well in the game, made a great throw, even though his receiver dropped it. That should have been a touchdown on a post route over the middle where he showed a great uh, ability to drive the ball, had some touch and put the ball right in the spot where no one else could get it. It, in order to do that, his receiver had to kind of go low for it, but that's where, I mean, it was it was kind of a next-level ball placement type of thing that is just pure arm talent. You just don't see that from every quarterback at the Senior Bowl. So there's every other team is seeing that. All the other quarterback-needy mm-hmm. teams, especially the ones ahead of the Broncos in the draft right now, they're seeing that too. So, But getting back to his question, no-fly zone 21-25, about the coaches – I mean, I concur with Zach that this is a – I mean, you've got to be excited about this this group of coaches, and especially the coordinators, the position coaches they chose to retain. There is a lot to be excited about and feel confident that this time around things are going to be different. But, again, I say and, – and Zach's not wrong when he says coaching, 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 or that it's all about coaching. I don't disagree, but I do say that you, if you don't have that crucial piece – which is a franchise quarterback, the coaching can only get you so far. And you look at all the young guys and the, the guys on the last, uh, you know, the coaching carousel from two years ago. You look at at uh, McVay. I mean, he stepped into a situation where it was the perfect storm. He had a young quarterback, franchise guy waiting to go. Boom, they hit the ground running. They're in the Super Bowl two years later. And that's the, the way for every coach, whether he's a young guy, a retread, or a run-of-the-mill head coach getting his first opportunity to be the head man, the ones who have success right away or within a relatively short window, Zach, it's the guys who have a quarterback in place or are able to quickly get a quarterback that they can build around out of the gates. There's no disputing that. There's no doubting that. I'm fully in agreement with that. The only thing I will say is Gary Kubiak went 9-7 and seven with Trevor Simeon, and the Broncos were in contention with Case Keenum. So better coaching to me, it goes a long way. I agree with you, though. Yep. If they don't have that franchise quarterback, it is all for naught. Ultimately, you can skate by, but you'll never have long-term continued success. Until they establish that QB, they're not going to have that. So I, I agree with you to that extent. Here's Here's a hypothetical. Even with the injuries the Broncos sustained last year if you had this coaching staff coaching the Broncos last year do the Broncos finish better than six and ten Zach in your mind and if they did what what do you think this coaching staff could have gotten out of that injury decimated Broncos roster last year Uh, I mean a playoff berth I don't know about that not a wild card berth but I feel like a couple more wins and it it would have just trending in the right direction something to inspire hope in the fan base not ending on on the downturn and firing coaching staff so they wouldn't have been a a legit playoff contender the injuries was just too crucial you lost so many star players but to me some of those losses were squarely on the Broncos coaching staff and if they had a better coaching staff in place they wouldn't have lost those games I think the Broncos would have had at least two more wins. I can think of two games specifically off the top of my head that Vance Joseph and his his coaches botched. So I think at least you would have had an eight and eight squad, if not possibly one or two games, maybe even better. But imagine that same coaching staff with a bona fide young franchise caliber quarterback. And and then that's where you get from a team like the Chiefs going from, you know, pushing the playoffs 
to all of a sudden in the AFC Championship game and really kind of almost in a way being robbed of getting to the Super Bowl, that's how it happens. You know, those are the stars that have to align, which is why for me, Zach, I, I continue to remain emphatic that Elway is going to pull out the stops for a quarterback, which ties into the next question here. We got Drew Locke on the minds of the VIPs, Jedi Joshua 58, who joined the VIP uh, subscription a month ago, stud, longtime listener to the show. We love you, bro. He says, hey, brother, you think it'd be worth Elway pulling out the stops for Drew Locke? Because I don't think he's going to be there at 10. Now, we've already touched on this as a topic, Zach, but let's let's look at this from a different perspective in a way to still answer Joshua's question. Would the way you view Drew Locke up to this point, what you've seen from his four-year career at Missouri, the work he put in at the Senior Bowl this past week, including his time at the podium, do you, do you view him as a player? We don't necessarily need to know exactly where, but do you view him as a player that a team like the Broncos, that'd be worth it to make a trade up in order to secure him? I'm I'm first coming around to the idea of Drew Locke at 10 because I feel like he's benefiting from being in a really bad quarterback class. If he was in last year's quarterback class, he'd be a third-round draft pick, you know? So to trade up to, let's say, number two and sell the farm, which would take a future first-rounder, second, third-rounder, maybe even a player, I don't know about that. I really don't. I feel like if he's on the board, for sure. I mean, you got to keep swinging to hit a home run, especially a quarterback. But to sell the farm and to mortgage the future, I'm a little iffy on that. He's not Trevor Lawrence. He's not Tua. He's not even Baker Mayfield from last year or Sam Darnold. I would not put that much investment into him. But at 10, I'm, I'm finally starting to warm up to that. Yeah. And really, even though we've had the senior bowl come and go since the last I said this, I remain at the same point as it relates to Drew Locke. If he's there at pick 10, I'm I'm there for the Broncos. Take him. You know, roll the dice, team him up with an innovative coordinator and a quarterback whisperer and Rich Scangarello and just, you know, see what happens. off to the races, right? Yeah. Um, I'm not quite there yet on on giving up the farm to move up, but there's still a lot of a lot of dominoes left to fall to give us the complete picture between uh, between now and draft day. So, one more question, then we'll get out of here for today's episode. This comes from also Stud Lee, which is kind of shifting gears here. His question is: What are your thoughts on the blown calls in the championship games last week? And do you think mm-hmm. the NFL, Zach, should make some some uh, you know changes to those plays? in challengeable reviews, penalties, et cetera, in some capacity. Uh, to me, the New Orleans call was way worse than the Chiefs game. The Chiefs game was borderline, but the the, the, the the Saints game should have been criminal. I mean, I don't know how they don't call a penalty. You could have called four different penalties. They don't call one. They swallow their whistles with the game on the line. I don't know. I was rooting for the Rams in that game, but definitely the Saints got robbed, and I was rooting for the Chiefs, and I feel like the refs didn't do many favors, but that defense is a way worse problem than any refereeing. And yeah, I do feel like the NFL should amend their rules, maybe make pass interference reviewable, even though LA doesn't believe that's going to help anything, help matters. They have to do something, though. Um, Maybe modern technology, full-time refereeing, specialized refereeing, AI, I don't know. Alexa, I don't know what they can do, but they have to do something because it's getting out of hand and it's costing teams now legit shots at a Super Bowl. That should never, ever, ever happen. Yeah, I mean, human error and human perspective is part of what makes the game as exciting and awesome as it is, and that relates also to the officiating. But here's what I would think would be cool. Here's here's just a solution. I'm, not to get you know too into specifics, I don't want to flog a dead horse because we don't really have any skin in this game particularly right now but 
I think it would be cool if the NFL Competition Committee were to take a look at making a change where not every run-of-the-mill penalty or call, you know, any any play as it stands can be challenged by the opposing coach so long as they have challenges available and it's not within two minutes. Okay, so we know that, right? But what if they were to make a holding call, pass interference, whether it's called or not called, those type of things, under six minutes to go in the second or fourth quarter or overtime, uh, challengeable by the opposing coach or by a coach. Mm -hmm. So, in other words, if you're the New Orleans Saints in that game, all right, you're in the fourth quarter. I can't remember exactly what the time stamp was in that game when this that play happened, but I'm confident it was under six minutes. And you see a monumental missed call on a pe- clear pass interference that would have swung the game. You could throw a challenge call, a, a challenge flag, and have the refs go in and, and study that. And you know they'll come to you. They say, "What are you challenging here?" I'm challenging you guys missed a call on that pass interference there. Watch this play. You tell me that wasn't pass interference. And then they combine. Now, what if it's a different type of situation? For example, you're a team trying to close or something, and your right tackle gets called for holding, takes you out of field goal range, you have to punt, and then the team drives down, scores, and you lost the game because they, you got flagged for an erroneous holding call, or you perceive it to be erroneous, Zach, so you throw that, that challenge. But it can only happen in specific points of the game like the final eight minutes or the final seven minutes of the second and fourth quarter something like that you know it's it's great idea in theory but i have no doubt the nfl in practice if they utilize that would find a way to screw it up it is by far the worst run of the major four professional sports leagues by far so i have no faith the nfl ever getting it right we're gonna have to just live with a flag football culture and constant penalty flags it is super super maddening Well, hey, that's going to do it for today's episode of the podcast. Make sure you're following the show on Twitter, at HuddleUpPod. You can find my partner, Zach Kelberman, at Kelberman247. Myself, at Chad and Jensen, on Twitter. Make sure you're following all three of those accounts. You guys stay up to date with what's going on. We will be back tomorrow. We're going to break down some interesting comments from Rich Scangarello that took place in a separate conversation after he was introduced to to the press on Thursday. So look for that. For Zach Kelderman, I'm Chad Jensen. We'll talk to you soon. You've been listening to the Huddle Up Podcast. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com to keep the conversation going. I think what flavor of these new Dunkin' Coconut Refreshers you get says a lot about you. Really? What's it say about me? Well, you got the refreshing golden peach because you're vibrant, fun, and positive. Oh, what about me? The bold purple pomegranate means you're vibrant, fun, and positive. I take it I got this delicious pink strawberry because I'm vibrant, fun, and positive. Yeah, it's a simple system, really. Share the shine. Enjoy a medium Dunkin' Coconut Refresher for $3. Order ahead plus earn rewards. America runs on Dunkin'. Participation may vary. Limited time offer excludes classic Dunkin' Refreshers. Everybody should definitely come to Baltimore. We have a way of speaking to each other through food. It's really renewed for me, my love of what I do. It's going to take something far stronger than a pandemic to defeat us. All of these businesses are taking precautions to make sure that everyone is safe. We're ready. See what we've got going on. Plan your visit at Baltimore.org.